Steve.com. Wake up, everyone. It's time for the Steve Noble Show, where biblical Christianity meets the everyday issues of life in your home, at work, and even in politics. Steve is an ordinary man who believes in an extraordinary God. And on his show, there's plenty of grace and lots of truth, but no sacred cows. Call Steve now at 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Or check him out online at thestevenobleshow.com. And now, here's your host, Steve Noble. All right, listen up, all you Christian nationalists out there, everybody that wants to turn America back to being a Christian nation. We need to take back the White House. We need to take back control of both chambers of Congress. We need to take control of the governorship here in North Carolina and throughout the land. We need Christians in high office and medium office and low office. And we need to turn this country uh, back to the Christian nation that it once was. We need to govern that way. We need to lead that way. We'll allow you to be here if you're not a believer, but you're going to have to do it our way. Okay, is, is that, are you like, yeah, Steve, about time, let's go. Uh, maybe, maybe you're there. <laughs> maybe you're uh, not quite there. Maybe you're somewhere between that and not uh, giving a rip. And uh, what is a Christian nationalist anyway? What is Christian nationalism? We're going to talk about that and unpack that today on Theology Thursday with our friends at BJU Seminary. An incredible blog post today by Dr. Greg Stikes, who I'm going to pull onto the radio here in just a second. But I just want to set this up. Uh, there's a tension here that I've been dealing with pretty much my whole life as a uh, engaged, active Christian and somebody that's been involved in the culture wars and the political realm uh, for almost 20 years now. And so Christian nationalism gets thrown around by the left. I think it's largely misunderstood by the right. But the uh, those perspectives really ultimately don't matter. What matters is because it's Christian. First of all, what is Christian nationalism? And second of all, can we, quote unquote, baptize Christian nationalism in the Bible? Can we use biblical theology to make Christian nationalism, once we've defined it, make sense? So uh, Greg has written an incredible blog post today. I'll put the link up on Facebook Live and Rumble here in just a second. The ideology of Christian nationalism and the theology of the New Testament. Let me just read a little bit here and then we'll get Greg on. Someone has observed that one sign of a nation's moral degradation is the fact that conservatives find it increasingly difficult to parody its culture. Seth Dillon, CEO of the popular Babylon Bee, claims that nearly 100 of their news parodies designed to identify real issues through ridicule have actually come true. The problem, he says, isn't that our satire is too close to reality. It's that reality is too close to satire. So not only is America culturally, uh, culture morally bankrupt, but it has also lost its senses. I would call that a reprobate mind, Romans 1. And if people dare to point out that the emperor is wearing no clothes, a condition he apparently shares with several of his court, they are furiously denounced as fear-mongering, uncaring bigots, and canceled. A phobe of this sort or another. Thus, the outrage, Greg writes, of the evangelical church is emotionally spent, and it has begun to give way to toleration and desensitization. Well... For lots, not everybody. Like many of our political leaders, we also look away from these appalling scenes, not because we are unconcerned, but because we feel defeated, truly helpless to do anything about them. So that's the setup, and it's great to have our friend Dr. Greg Stikes back on the show for Theology Thursday from BJU Seminary. Greg, how are you? Doing really well. Sorry we have to do it by phone, but very glad to be here. Thanks so much. You're very welcome. It's fine. That's the norm for me, so it's not a big deal. This, First of all, <laughs> hey, thanks for putting all the time that you did into this blog post. Uh, it's incredibly well-written. It's incredibly comprehensive. 
uh, and, and you did that without a whole lot of space, and it's really just excellent. So thank you so much for that. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. You're welcome. So so why Christian nationalism? This is something that I kind of talk about in and around and through all the time. I don't always use the phrase, but this is obviously an in-depth subject for you. Why is it? Well, uh, actually, I did not really know much about Christian nationalism uh, until maybe a few months ago. I've kind of heard the phrase but not really paid much attention to it. And uh, some of my friends at uh, G3 Ministry said, you know, this is, this is really gaining some ground. There's a lot of discussion going on. There's some books coming out this year. And uh, so I just started thinking, you know, I need to know a little bit more about this, especially if it's going to be uh, catching on, and especially with conservative evangelicals maybe jumping on board with it. And uh, I knew that I was going to be on with you sometime this summer, and I thought, you know what? Steve Noble would love it if I wrote an article on Christian <laughs> nationalism. So, so this is partly for you, Steve. No, I, I love it. And, this is, and I think this is something that uh, most, uh, quote-unquote, conservative Christians struggle with, or they better be, somewhere between abandonment of the culture and then on the other end of the scale, what we're talking about today, Christian nationalism. So I think people hear that. It's like Greg asking the question, is America a Christian nation? Uh, we have to unpack this and really understand what Christian nationalism is. So let's start there. Yeah, right. And, you know, I think that the jumping off point is really good uh, of saying, you know, we are people have lost their senses. Romans 1, uh, we, we feel helpless to do anything. It's it's going to to be really obvious why people are going to be attracted to something like this when they're saying, you know, we've tried everything, you know, we're praying, we're praying for revival, you know, our pastors are, are preaching and so forth. But, but it's almost as if someone said the left is pushing so hard to try to get a reaction. No matter, no matter if we, even if we try to make up something they're doing, they turn around and do it. Yeah. And so it's getting worse and worse. And that's why, Really, uh, Christian nationalism, I think, is becoming more of a thing. And, and if, if I could just summarize it in my own words, having read what Doug Wilson says and, and what Stephen Wolf uh, wrote uh, last year, uh, really they're saying, you know, Christian nationalism shouldn't be something that surprises everybody. Uh, in, in fact, Doug Wilson goes all the way back to Constantine and says you start seeing it there, where mm. they start legalizing Christianity. Uh, you have certain countries that. Uh, where the population became very strongly Christian, and so it wouldn't be surprising to see Christians in power and then writing laws which uh, seem to correspond to biblical truth. And so he says, you know, we, we used to be a Christian nation. Some, somebody accused Doug Wilson of uh, having a, uh, a Mac hat, you know, which is, you know, make American Christian. And he yeah. said, no, it's a Mac hat, make American Christian again. And so, in, a, in short, Christian nationalism, the, the, the best way we can put it, and I think if you're going to have a debate about it, you want to assume the best thing about your opponent, you know, the, the best version you can think right, of. Right. And, and really, it's just saying, let's get back to blue laws, let's get back to a majority of people who are uh, believers, who are saying, you know, we're sort of taking things back and, and rewinding the clock in, a, in the sense of the laws, back to the way they were closer to the inception of the United States. Yeah, and, and we'll get into that as we set up Christian nationalism. And, I mean, even Alexis de Tocqueville, you go back to 1835, Democracy in America, which is an incredible read, by the way. Everybody said, Christianity therefore reigns without any obstacle by universal consent. That was his observation of America as a Frenchman in the 1800s. And, and he was largely correct. 
So do we want to go back to that? How would we accomplish that? We just need to take over the government and reinstitute a Christian nation. We'll be right back. Welcome back. It's Steve Noble, The Steve Noble Show. If you're watching here in the studio on Facebook Live or Rumble, then you're knowing that my back is doing better. I was just doing a a little groove to that intro music and uh, praise the Lord, got some help from urgent care the other day. I was at the uh, physical therapist today, so much better. My voice is fried just because I've been in bed so much this week, Uh, but doing much better. So uh, I was at home yesterday doing the show. Now I'm in the studio, praise the Lord, and should be back tomorrow. And I'm crazy enough, I'm going to go see Oppenheimer at six o'clock, which is a three hour movie. So we'll see how my back takes to that. I was literally stuck in bed Monday and Tuesday this evening at six o'clock. I'm going to watch a three hour movie. Uh, Steve, what are you nuts? Uh, yes, that, that would be the answer to that today. Talking about a very important subject, Christian nationalism. Like what is it? So this is, I shared this on both Facebook live as well as rumble. So you can go grab it there. An incredible blog post today from our special guest, Dr. Greg Stikes down at BJU seminary. Again, Christian nationalism is the belief and hope that by God's grace, through political means, Christians can restore their country to the kind of nation it once was when its laws and customs reflected a common belief in the gospel and the teachings of Scripture. We mentioned Doug Wilson, who's a a classical Christian educator, reform pastor, and he was like, hey, listen, think of a Muslim country, Saudi Arabia, whatever, and they run the country as a Muslim country. Uh, We would like to see America do that as a Christian version. So he says this isn't Christian nationalism 1.0. This would actually be Christian nationalism 2.0. We're just going back to the way we were founded in the first place. And and you can make a pretty good case about that. I probably wouldn't go as far as Doug Wilson does. And then Stephen Wolf, uh, another author, uh, is like, you know, explores how a single nation like the U.S. could learn to govern itself in such a way. Wolf defines Christian nationalism as a totality of national action consisting of civil laws and social customs conducted by a Christian nation as a Christian nation in order to procure for itself both earthly and heavenly good in Christ. Of course, it's going to be unbelievers are welcome, should be. And uh, but you need to know you live in America and we're going to basically run this place from a Christian perspective, Christian worldview. And uh, and I think a lot of us, that sounds pretty good. You know, we want to save America. We want to get back to our roots, our Christian heritage. The country's lost its way. And I agree with all that stuff. But Can you back that up? Grab your Bible, open up your Bible app, whatever. Can you back that up biblically? Can you make a theological case that a major concern of ours and thus our actions, where our money goes, what we do online, the conversations we have, should be trying to get America back to be more of a Christian nation? Should that be a big goal of ours as New Testament Christians? And that's that's the big question. And, and I think I said that before the break, Greg, I think a lot of Christians struggle with this one. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of different versions of Christian nationalism. And uh, as I said in the blog, it, it, it raises a lot of questions uh, and, and uh, about, you know, is this going to be, you know, some of the failed uh, experiments we've had in the past. I mean, you, the, the Spanish Inquisition comes to mind, uh, Calvin's Geneva, uh, the Salem Witch Trials, and we could probably name dozens of, of ways where uh, people who want, were, were supposedly trying to follow the morality of the Bible were really violating what Jesus said to the Pharisees yeah. uh, more than once in Matthew's Gospel, I'd rather have mercy than sacrifice. 
And uh, Wilson says, well, you know, we've learned from the mistakes of the past, and now we'll have a better Christian nationalism. But you know what? I just don't trust even fallen, redeemed humanity hmm. <laughs> to, to not get into yeah. power. And then, and then we've learned from history, power tends to corrupt, even, even claim, people who claim to be believers. Right. And so there's a lot of fear that if we actually did this, would it really turn out to be something that resembles Christianity in the end? Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, when you start seeing flags and posters of uh, Jesus behind Donald Trump and the Oval Office and this cold mixture of imagery, uh, I think that's a very dangerous place. I'm, I'm going to be teaching world history for the first time this fall, Greg. So I spent uh, a good chunk of this summer studying world history. And, and that, mm. uh, that marriage of the church and the state uh, created all kinds of problems for about 1,200 years plus that had a big impact on our founding fathers as they studied history. They were good students of history. And I guess the big question we have to deal with here is, does the theology of the New Testament point us toward the ideology of Christian nationalism? And I mean, like, at all. Uh, you're, you're taking the yeah. position that it doesn't. I'm going to agree with you, but there, there are some nuances in there. So I guess we should go uh, right to the top, and, and let's, let's just start with the Gospels and what Jesus taught his apostles about this subject. Yeah, my, my approach uh, that I wanted to take in this blog, because it's just a blog, you don't have time to really go into too much detail, sure. uh, is to sort of just you know cut through all of the political philosophy, and, and certainly there's a deep well there, you can get into a lot of different conversations. Mm-hmm. Yep. But the, the, we, before we answer any other question, we ought to be able to say, uh, is this where the Bible is pointing us? And so uh, I, simp- I, I pose the question, does the theology of the New Testament point us toward the the ideology of Christian nationalism. And, and there's, of course, a difference between being anti-biblical and unbiblical. Right. Uh, and, and somebody might be able to argue, well, there, there's nothing anti-biblical about uh, a government where you have a whole bunch of people who are believers and they want the laws of their land to reflect their Christian faith. But what I'm asking, really, is it is it biblical? Does the Bible point us in this direction? And uh, so I, I look at the, all four genres of the New Testament, the Gospels, what Jesus taught his apostles, uh, Acts, what the apostles went and did, the epistles, what Jesus' apostles told the Church. They, they define and, right. and uh, explain what Jesus wanted and what the apostles were, wanted. And, and then Revelation, what Jesus promises his Church as we're waiting uh, for his return. And I don't see in any of those genres of New Testament literature and the theology that comes out of them, any proactive push toward a kind of Christian nationalism. In fact, we're never promised anything of the sort. Uh, Jesus in the Gospels says that, uh, you know, in this world we're going to have tribulation, and uh, that we need to cling to him and trust in him as the one who overcame the world. And so uh, right away, when we're reading about taking up our cross and following Jesus, uh, Jesus Christ uh, makes a disciples uh, who will follow him and be faithful even unto death. He's not making subjects uh, over which he is going to rule, not right now. And in fact, when that kingdom comes in, it's something he's going to do. It's not something he has called us to do. At least I can't find that anywhere uh, when I'm reading through the, the gospel. Sure. And there was certainly some, some tension, like with Peter and with Judas. They're like, okay, when's he going to, you know, kick some butt and take some names. 
uh, and you wrote this in the blog post, post, he never styles himself as an insurrectionist, nor does he at any time encourage his disciples to overthrow the current political regime. In fact, he refuses to let the people make him king. When he could have been, he chose not to be. So I, the question as we go through this, Greg, is going to be, uh, uh, do we want our, to live in a nation where Christian values are reflected? Yes. The question is, uh, is that a calling of ours? Are some Christians called into government service? I would argue yes. But is that a main, is that a big New Testament pull on us that, hey, guys, while you're on the earth and before I come back, you need to Christianize your country. You need to get into the halls of government and you need to make this thing look like what my kingdom's going to look like eventually when I bring heaven to earth. That's the, that's the, that's the tension we're going to work through, but we have to submit ourselves to the word of God. And you cannot stretch it to cover your political ideology. So if you're feeling a little upset or a little tense right now, good. Because I think most of us struggle with this subject. Where should we be when it comes to our Christianity and our nationalism? We're talking to Dr. Greg Stikes. We'll be right back. Welcome back. It's Steve Noble, the Steve Noble Show Theology Thursday with our friends at BJU Seminary. Of course, talking to Dr. Greg Stikes today. An incredible blog post today on a very important topic, the ideology of Christian nationalism and the theology of the New Testament. Christian nationalism, we need to turn this country back to a Christian uh, basis. We need uh, Christians determining law. We need Christians on the Supreme Court. We need Christians in the White House. We need a Christian operational worldview in our legal system and our legal code. This country needs to operate as close to the biblical truth as it can, and, and that should be a major goal of ours. So we need to basically take as much power as we can within the realms of the, uh, the, the political world, the government. Okay, That's essentially Christian nationalism. Okay, so But what is the theology of the New Testament? The premise of Greg's article, does the theology of New Testament point us toward the ideology of Christian nationalism? Uh, he's taking the position it does not. I agree with him. Is there some nuance in there? I think so, but we'll get into that. Starting with uh, the Gospels, what Jesus taught his apostles. He teaches his apostles not to make subjects, but to make disciples. Even though Jesus, I'm reading from the article, speaks of his coming kingdom and even promises that one day his disciples will actually reign with him, he never styles himself as an insurrectionist, nor does he at any time encourage his disciples to overthrow the current political regime. In fact, he refuses to let the people make him a king. And it was way worse living in Rome under Roman rule than it is today. Way worse. Jesus always drew a sharp distinction between earthly human government and the people of God. Right? Render to Caesar unto Caesar. What is Caesar's? Render to God. What is God's? So when Jesus teaches his followers to deny themselves, take up their crosses and follow him, Matthew 16, he's not leading them to world domination, but to crucifixion as they take the gospel to the ends of the earth. So how much of a priority should our uh, desire for Christians in government and Christians controlling government be? Should that be a priority for us as New Testament Christians? Again, Greg, thanks so much for your time and for this uh, outstanding blog post. It's really awesome. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Okay, so we were talking about uh, what Jesus said himself. Let, let's jump to the next part, the book of Acts, what Jesus' apostles sure. went out and did. Because uh, you mentioned this, Doug Wilson again, his desires to turn the world upside down. Uh, which is an allusion to precisely what Paul and his co-workers were accused of trying to do in Thessalonica. So we'll start there. Yeah, um, you know, it, it was really interesting. I only have two little paragraphs in here because, uh, you know, obviously, you don't have very long in, in writing a post. It gets long really, really fast. Yeah. But you think about 
you know, the whole project in Acts of uh, taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. And there's so much about government, and they're working under government the whole time, and there's so much to learn about government. They're suffering because of the government. I mean, Paul could have used the, hey, I'm a Roman citizen's card a lot more than he right. did. He yeah. let himself get beat by the government yeah. Yeah. Uh, before before he would use that at times. And, he, you know, we read later in the epistles that really he's He's just wanting to make sure people know the gospel is true, and he's not going to do anything to call attention away from that. So when they're turning the world upside down, uh, it's it's not because they're trying to get people into political office. They're simply preaching the gospel. People are coming to faith in Christ. Their lives are being transformed through the Spirit, and the culture from uh, from the bottom up is right. is turning upside down uh, in in the sense that everything is is not what they were expecting. Everything is coming unglued because people are not following uh, what they were, uh, what, what the government thinks they're, they're going to follow as far as their uh, lifestyle and so forth. And um, this came home to me when I was actually in Turkey. I think it was uh, uh, in the, 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 the town of Smyrna. There was a temple there we were looking at, and it was incomplete. And the guide said, you know, it was never finished. And I'm like, well, why was never, why was it never finished? And he looked at me as a, as a Muslim guide looking at a Christian thinking, how stupid can you be? <laughs> uh, of course it wasn't finished because of the rise of Christianity. And it was the first time that it struck me, wait a minute, that the world was turned upside down. Everything came unhinged yeah, because right. so many people began coming to faith in Jesus Christ. But it, it was because of the preaching of the word. And that's why you see the, the spread of the gospel to the ends of the earth in Acts. Yeah, and that's the, you mentioned it, that's the bottom-up approach. Uh, we, especially as Americans, uh, don't like that. That takes too much time. I have to endure too much suffering. It's too frustrating. And so if we can get the right guy in the White House and we can get the right people in, in Congress, then uh, then we can fix this thing or at least get moving in the right direction from the top down. But when you do that, uh, you're not, uh, you're, you're not you're, your number one goal is not to preach the gospel and see the nation changed. Your number one goal is to take over the nation. And you just can't. You just can't make that case biblically. Yeah, and I, I think you make a really, really good point there. We have been given time and energy and resources by the Lord to serve Him, and the question is, how does He want us to put that time and energy and, and, and resource for His glory? Does He call some people to be in the government? Sure. Have, yeah. have, have cultures been more governmental in the past? Sure. Uh, but that is—is is that what the mission statement is? Uh, is, is that just something that God allows through his blessing along the way, or is that the way uh, the New Testament was written? And what I argue is, is we would have a completely different-looking New Testament. We would have yeah. a, a, a different gospel. We would have different a, a view of Acts. We'd have different messages in the epistles if, in fact, we are supposed to be on mission of taking over the governments of the world. Yeah, and there are a lot of pastors that I know personally, uh, churches that I've been in, pulpits that I've walked into where the pastors that they're going to, they're going to use scripture to basically show that, Hey, occupy until I come. And, and if you're going to love your neighbor, well, we need to institute <laughs> Christian principles and, and uh, Trump is like Cyrus and blah, 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 blah. And they just want to wrap the Bible around the whole American experiment. And, and the mission, our new Testament mission, Greg does not change based on where you live. You, you can right. live in a Muslim country. Yeah. And your mission is, yeah. is oh, yeah. to preach the word. You live in a free country like ours. Your mission doesn't change, whether it's 1750 
or uh, 2023. The mission never changes and it doesn't matter where you live. And that's why it's so important for us to understand uh, what we're talking about here, like the book of Acts and then the epistles, which you mentioned. So let, uh, take us through some of that, what Jesus's apostles told his church about this whole issue of government. Well, when, we, when we're reading the epistles, uh, the apostles are trying to explain, here is where Jesus pointed us. And, and even some of the things we read in Acts, they're fleshed out and explained in, in very you know, comprehensive terms in the epistles. And so really, if, there's both, if you're going to find a manifesto in the New Testament instructing us how to transform culture through this Christianized government, then we're going to find it in the epistles. And yet, this is where we find uh, some of the most clear scripture that tells us to pray for kings and all who are in high positions. Why? So that we can live a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Does, does that mean that there's never a time when a regime gets so oppressive, people morally need to stand up? Of course it doesn't mean that. Right. Uh, but but as, as how we're supposed to be living, what, what the norm should be is that we struggle to, to show ourselves as good citizens, not as somebody who is trying to make trouble underneath uh, the government. We're faithful uh, citizens so that, so that there's no question about the peacefulness of the gospel. And uh, we're, we're, you know, we, we pay our taxes. Uh, we, you know, we've, we've got, you've got the uh, Romans 13. Uh, you've got Peter, who's, who's you know, what's, what's interesting, you mentioned the government was really bad. Paul's writing all this, and Peter's <laughs> writing all this. They literally die. They give their lives as martyrs right. underneath the Neronian persecution. And yet they're the most outspoken of anybody in the New Testament that we need to fear God, honor the emperor. And, and so that's the template. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Are there exceptions to that? Do we, do we have to stand up sometimes? Is the sure. government not doing good, and we need to, to figure out what to do about that? Sure. I mean, we wouldn't have a United States if, if that weren't the truth. That's right. Uh, but at the same time, that's not where the mission statement is. And I, I don't think we see that at all in, uh, in the epistles, where we would expect to find that manifesto. <laughs> yes, and I love that you're using the word manifesto. Yeah, you mentioned First Timothy 2 about praying for those, the kings and those in authority over us, uh, not so that we can uh, take over the government, so that we can lead quiet and peaceful lives, godly and dignified in every way. By the way, if you need, need some help like that, with that, like I have for years, uh, there's a great resource website run by some friends of mine at Capitol Commission. It's just called pray1tim2.org. That's it. Pray1tim2.org. Oh, click, on, okay. click on your state and you'll get an email every day of the week to pray for those in authority over us, uh, one at the federal level and then your state house, your state senate and the judicial as well. They're oh, not wow. going to sh- yeah. they're not going to show you they're going to show you their picture wh- where they represent. They're not going to tell you yeah. whether a democrat or republican. And that had a huge impact on my approach to this and just submitting myself to scripture. You mentioned in the article too, Greg, uh, he says to Titus, Paul says to Titus, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. And then, of course, he says to the Romans, I'm not going to go through the whole part, but let every person be subject to the governing authorities. You mention it. These guys are talking about Nero, Nero, who used Christians mm-hmm. as tiki torches. 
The guy was a total psychopath. We've never seen anything yeah. like that in the American experiment. So don't try to compare ourselves to that. And then in First Peter 2, yeah. be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. Because Joe Biden's in office today, whether you like it or not, under God's providence. So we have to deal with that. When we come back, Greg, let's dive into Revelation, what Jesus promised his church, and then we'll do a, a conclusion. Don't go anywhere. Really important on Christian nationalism. Woke up this morning And I heard the news I know the pain of a heart Welcome back. It's Steve Noble, The Steve Noble Show. Personal moment for a second. When I started the show yesterday, I was at home. I've been struggling with my back this week, doing much better. Praise the Lord. Uh, pray for me, and thank you if you have prayed. Um, but started the show yesterday talking about Big Stu Epperson, Little Stu, uh, owner and founder of the Truth Radio Network. Many of you are listening on Truth Radio Network stations. Big Stu is dad, uh, just an absolute rock star, mega star in Christian uh, media, especially Christian radio. Went to be with the Lord uh, Sunday night, overnight, passed in his sleep. And uh, he was 80, I think he was 88. Uh, just an incredible man. And, and that, and, you know, is that sad? Yeah. But he lived 10 years beyond the national average. He had an incredibly impactful life. So when, when somebody like Stu Epperson Sr. dies, uh, who one of the reasons you, you even hear me is because of Stu Epperson Sr., who was a graduate of BJU, by the way, and a huge supporter of BJU. Uh, I don't, I'm sad when somebody like Big Stu dies. But that's not a tragedy. And and he lived an incredibly effective life. Well done, good and faithful servant, to say the least. But you know what? He's out of here, man. He's you think he'd rather come back? Are you nuts? No way. That's why Lazarus got a raw deal, man. And and Big Stu, he he doesn't want to come back to this place. The question for all of us is what do we do with the time that we have left? How much time, talent, and treasure, how much energy, how much of our angst and our, and our momentum and our vigor and our vile, whatever, should we be pouring into um, the government and taking control and winning elections versus winning, doing our part to see souls won to Christ? That's the question. Stu care, Big Stu cared about government, man. He was involved. He ran for Congress twice. But the number one thing he wanted to talk to people about was not the government. It was the Lord. It was the gospel. It's a powerful reminder for all of us. Greg, it's great to have you on today. Greg Stikes with BJU Seminary. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you, and I'm glad to hear you're feeling better, Steve. Yeah, absolutely. Me too. Thank you so much. Okay, so let's do Revelation right quick, which is impossible, but uh, what Jesus promised his church, because we have to have, oftentimes I think, Greg, I just had this conversation last night with a, a young man, a friend of our son's that I spent some time counseling last night, and I said, you know, all this consternation and frustration we experience about all these different things that can blow up in our lives and what's going on in the nation, whatever, you know, for me as a believer, I, I think most of that, Greg, at this point in my life at 57, is me just longing for heaven. I, I think that's what it is. I, I know what God promises. I know what we have coming. I just can't have it yet. I want to have as much of it as I can on earth, but I can't get that perfect picture until I get to heaven and then heaven comes here. So Revelation, I think, helps us with this to really understand what Jesus promised his church. It wasn't uh, an awesome Christian man sitting in the White House every four years. Right. And, uh, you know, Paul had that same debate with himself in uh, Philippians 1. uh, and, and, And Philippians is pointed toward the return of the Lord. Uh, You know, he says we're 
we're uh, citizens of a different country, and we're waiting for, for the, you know, the Lord to return um, and change our vile body <laughs> so it will be like his glorious body. But you're right, Revelation, it's hard to unpack that really quickly, but I, here's what I hooked on. You know, I preached the whole book of Revelation over like a two-and-a-half-year period, and it really is about the Lord's promise to his people to say, hey, you know what, hold on, I know I said I'm coming, and it's going to happen, and it's going to go down in a glorious way. Now, in the meantime, you be conquerors. Well, if I'm this Christian nationalist, if I'm like taking over, you know, thinking about taking over government, a conqueror is, is you know, asserting myself here on the earth and, and, and maybe lording it over people and, and trying to make things good through these Christian laws. But that's not what a conqueror is in Revelation. A conqueror is one who remains faithful to the Lord until the end, and that's all it is. He, he may die as a martyr. In fact, a lot of them do die as martyrs in the book of Revelation. But they conquer because they have an eternal perspective, and they're going to end up with the Lord in glory. In fact, they're promised that they will reign with Christ just you know, with the same kind of authority that the Father has given to him. That is a yeah. stunning promise, and I don't stunning. even know how to even think about that. Yeah, neither do I. Uh, and, and so if, if he's promised us this in Revelation, you would think this is one of those books where, where we're like, okay, finally, Jesus is going to tell us how to, how to reign now, you know, how to, how to be in the government now. Nothing of the kind. Uh, in fact, the, he just says, you, you, you continue to follow me. I'm going to give you strength to get through this time of persecution, and you just wait, and you're going to be vindicated in the end, and my name is going to be vindicated. And that really is the hopeful message of Revelation. So we don't even find ourselves being pointed in a Christian nationalism direction uh, in the book that promises us that we're going to reign with Christ someday on the earth. Yeah, that's such a great point. You made this in the blog post. So yes, faithful believers are promised a remarkable reign that shares characteristics of the reign of Christ himself, which is mind-boggling, like you said. But this is their reward, this is important, at the end of their journey. It does not suggest what they are to be doing along the journey. Until the end, Jesus encourages, be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. The things that you long for in the government, you cannot get until Jesus establishes his reign back here on earth uh, at the end. And so we, I just have to remind myself all the time, Greg, my, my angst mostly is at this age, my desire for heaven. And I want, I, of course, I would love to see the culture live more in line with Christian principles. That's good for them. That's good for me. That's good for the unborn. That's good for all kinds of people. Uh, God's way works every time. Uh, but that ultimately would be a result of us being good at the mission, which is making disciples rather than making the, the, making. the government look like us. So, so what, what are the conclusions? Because I think one of, the peop- one of the challenges for people, and I see this on some of the comments on Facebook Live and Rumble, is what do we do in the meantime? There's so many people in the government that are that think the government's God. Now, what do you expect? They're unbelievers for the most part, and uh, an apple tree is going to drop apples. Okay, that that shouldn't shock anybody. But I think there's the tension of how do we how do we live in this current environment as we move towards the days of Noah, and and what is our proper role in, in understanding? So, just some takeaways, Greg, from your time studying this and writing on it would be great. Yeah, right. Um, and you know, I don't. I think we know what those takeaways are already. I just don't think we really trust that this is what the hmm. Lord has given us to do and that he's going to bear fruit for it. So when, you know, uh, we read in First Timothy 2, uh, which, by the way, I looked at that website you said and found South Carolina, and I yep. never knew about that resource. I'm so happy to find awesome. it. Awesome. Great. Uh, but when we read that, and, and Paul says, 
pray for kings and those who are in authority. And then we go to verse 4. Why do we pray for them? Because God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. You mean I could pray for Nero? I could pray uh, for my, you know, I could pray for Joe Biden. I could pray for my government leaders that God would actually open their eyes and bring mm-hmm. them to faith in Christ. We just don't believe that he's going to do it. Right. And uh, th- But this is what God has given us to do. I think he's also uh, given us, it, depending on what government we're in, he's given us a voice to be able to say, hey, this isn't right. This is right. This is what God would want. I want to see righteousness flourish in the earth. Yep. And, mm-hmm. and I'm, so, I'm happy I live in a country where I actually can have a voice and join with other people and try to make things better. And, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. Uh, we're able to uh, influence people, and sometimes we're able to get into political office. Uh, and so there's a lot of things proactively we already know how to do in order to see what we are supposed to pray that Jesus said, uh, that, that the Lord's will will be done on earth as it's done in heaven. The only, the only thing that I'm saying in the, the blog post is that when it comes to bringing that kingdom here now, whatever form you want to make that, that doesn't seem where the Bible is telling us to put our energy. Uh, and, and so we do, in the context of the country we're in, what we can to advance the gospel and to advance righteousness, uh, but I, I don't think we need to beat ourselves up if we haven't taken over a town and, and turned every all the laws right. to favor Christians uh, rather than everybody else. Yeah, and you write this right at the end of the blog post today, which I put up links for that on Rumble and Facebook Live, and I just put up the link for uh, pray1tim2.org where you can go click on your state and get on a prayer list. It's su- super simple. You can do it in a minute, a minute and a half. And trust me, uh, it will have an impact on your heart and your head on this subject. The church in the world is better served if we revive and are faithful to what the Lord has definitely called us to do, preach the gospel, serve the church, pray for our governmental leaders, and show honor to them as much as we can while remaining faithful to God. That's like Paul and John are like, hey, you guys do what you got to do. We're going to do what we, we have to do. We can't help but speak about that which we have seen and heard. So there are times for uh, disobeying the governmental authorities, but that's that's rare. But there are times, so... Been there, done that. And to do all these things as we patiently wait for the Lord himself, Greg writes, to return and to establish his righteous, visible rule over the earth. That's when you're going to get Christian nationalism. In the meantime, uh, uh, we want to strive to, I mean, for me, involvement in government, involvement in public policy, involvement in the culture war is a matter of loving my neighbor. And to speak the truth, because the gospel is a moral solution to a moral problem. We have the moral truth. We need to speak that truth into the culture that's part of the gospel, is that there actually is a law. There's a moral law. And and that's part of being salt and light. Uh, and so we do that and try to impact the culture, as you said, Greg, from the bottom up, which is exactly what happened in Rome. It's happened since the beginning of the church. Make disciples. See people come to faith. See them grow in the faith. And I, I'll give you the example of my wife, and we're done. We got saved, we got married in 92, saved in 94. Within weeks of getting saved, she had been pro-choice all her life before that. Within weeks of getting saved, they had a pro-life doctor come to the church. God got right after her head and her heart. She became a pro-life woman that Sunday wow. and has served in the pro-life community and counseled girls in, in crisis pregnancy centers. Government didn't change her. Politics didn't change her. The gospel changed her. 
and you want to see a country go pro-life like my t-shirt today, you need to see more Christians. <laughs> I think that's ultimately what we're after. Greg, thanks so much. Again, this is just an awesome blog post. I really appreciate you, and thanks for your time today, buddy. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Enjoy the rest of your summer. We'll talk again soon. That was Dr. Greg Stikes at BJU Seminary. The link is up for his blog. I'll send it to you if you want it, Steve, at the Steve Noble Show. God willing, I'll talk to you again real soon. And like my dad always used to say, ever forward.